0: Happy or blessed 4th of July weekend to everyone. And um, I know for me, I I did a little bit of yard work, moving mulch, and I've discovered that there are leg muscles that pastors never use until they mulch their yard. And I was struggling to walk up the steps earlier. There's the confession of a 51-year-old man I'm young yet. Thank you. I appreciate that. I remember, do you remember when you were like 18 and you meet someone that was 50 and you're thinking, that dude's ancient. You ever do that? And now you're 50 and you go, ah, it's nothing. That's like being 18 all over again, right? I don't know why I'm talking about this, but what we are supposed to be talking about this morning is talking about follow Jesus, John 3.16. Follow Jesus. John 3, 16. The mission or the vision of City Church is simple, follow Jesus, serve others. If you read the Newer Testament, it becomes absolutely clear that that is what the Christian life is about. Follow Jesus, serve others. And so when you look at the Newer Testament, you discover that that's what Christ calls everyone to do. Now inside of that, there's a lot of stuff. There's worship. We just worship. There's fellowship. We've been getting to know people and fellowshipping and journeying with people as they follow Jesus. There's discipleship, what it means to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Christ and what it looks like to follow him. There's all different things that are encapsulated in follow Jesus. But ultimately, the Christian life looks like this. Follow Jesus, do what he says, and serve others. And so in the midst of this, we've been having a several-week journey about follow Jesus. And today I would like to take an in-depth look at the passage of Scripture that is the most Googled Scripture, exponentially greater than any other verse, that the second verse isn't even close. It's the verse John three sixteen. My guess is almost all of us know it by heart. So we're going to put it up on the screen real quickly. John 3:16. Let's say it together out loud if you know it. Ready? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you've ever heard that verse once before? Most of us know it. It's draped over the outfield wall at baseball games. It's held up on placards in the end zone at NFL football games. It's on bumper stickers. You see it all over John 3.16. It literally is the most famous verse of the Bible. Now, as followers of Jesus, though, what does that verse really say? What does it say? And so, what I want to do with us this morning is we're going to take an in depth look at the story in which that verse appears. Because one of the most dangerous things we can ever do as a follower of Jesus is grab a verse out of scripture and just kind of cling to that verse in isolation. We need to look at it in context. By and large, what we normally say is make sure when you have a verse, that you read the, verse, the three verses prior and the three after. But what we've got this morning is this incredible biblical story in which John 3.16 is taken from, or we find it embedded in. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire story in just a few moments. Before we do, there's sort of three things we're going to need to know before we read. Normally what I'll do is I'll read the text, I'll stop, I'll explain it and read it some more. But I think it's more advantageous for this verse for us to understand three things before we read beginning in John chapter 3, verse 1. It's this. We'll find that Jesus teaches a guy named Nicodemus. So we need to know a couple things before we read. First of all, who in the world is Nicodemus? Who is he? Well, The Bible doesn't really tell us a ton, but tells us some. What we learn as we begin to get into the context of where the verse John 3.16 comes from, it comes from a dialogue that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus. Now, the Bible tells us a couple of things, that he's a Pharisee. We'll talk about that in a moment. And that he's part of the Jewish ruling council. What that tells you is he's an incredibly powerful man in Jewish culture. Why? Here's why. The Pharisees were the ones that were over the masses of the Jewish people. There was another group called Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were mostly applauded by and followed by the aristocratic elite. The wealthy, powerful people really liked the Sadducees. But not all of them. But the average everyday person were behind the Pharisees. They had the ear of the masses. To such an extent that when Herod was trying to become the governor over all of Israel, he met with the leadership of the Pharisees and the Pharisees were the ones that went to the people and said, you really need to accept this guy named Herod. And Because of that, Herod elevated the Pharisees even more. Nicodemus was one of them. He was a Pharisee. He also was part of the Jewish ruling council, which meant he had incredible authority and incredible power. He was a power broker in Jewish culture because there would have been 72 or less men that sat on this ruling Jewish council. He was one of them. Here's what you can't know from Scripture about Nicodemus, but it's key. Nicodemus, by his first name, we know this about him. Nicodemus was part of the Ben-Gurion family. Only the Ben-Gurions named their sons Nicodemus. And the Ben-Gurion family is famous even to today. If you ever fly into Israel, there's an airport called the Ben-Gurion Airport. The reason why is David Ben-Gurion was the one that put together the current Jewish state. He's kind of viewed as the George Washington of the current Jewish state. But the Ben-Gurion family has been an aristocratic, powerful family in Israel for over 3,000 years. The Ben-Gurion family is kind of like the Rockefellers. The Rockefellers of the Jewish world. Well, anyone in the first century, when they saw that Jesus met with someone by the name of Nicodemus, they would have known instantly he was a Ben-Gurion. They would have known that. That he was, maybe we'd phrase it in our day, a Rockefeller or a Kennedy. That's how they would have viewed him. And so when we're getting ready to read, we'll find that John 3.16 comes out of a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus Ben-Gurion at night. Here's some other things that we're going to need to know as we get ready to read. You will notice as we read that Jesus references himself as being the Son of Man. In the Newer Testament, that's the phrase that Jesus calls himself by more than any other phrase. He will meet somebody and he'll say, Well, the Son of Man. And he's referencing himself. Well, what's key in John 3.16 is that we understand what that phrase, Son of Man, means. To understand what it means, you'd have to kind of go back to the Older Testament. And I'm going to read for you where the phrase comes from and what Jesus meant when he called himself Son of Man. It's key with understanding John 3.16. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14... Here's what we find in Daniel. By the way, the book of Daniel is what's called apocalyptic literature. The book of Revelation is the best known apocalyptic literature in in the Bible. If you read the book of Revelation, it's about future events. It's about what God will do. And it reads like an incredible comic book. If you read the book of Revelation, there's dragons and beasts with ten heads and someone's chopping the head off this beast, and then the lion mauls. I mean, it's this incredible story. By the way, the purpose for apocalyptic literature is this. It's not so that we can sit around and guess which country goes with which beast or which dragon or which whatever in the book of Revelation. The purpose for the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel is simply this. It's for persecuted people, and it tells them God wins in the end. Hang in there. The book of Daniel was written to persecuted Jews. The book of Revelation was written to persecuted Christians. So the purpose for this literature is to let people know God wins in the end. Well, the phrase son of man comes out of the book of Daniel It's a prophetic look into the future where the prophet Daniel sees where God will raise up an individual and what that individual will be like and especially the authority and the power that God will give this person. So Jesus, if you met him in the gospels, he would say, hello, I'm son of man. All Jews knew exactly what he meant. So now we need to know as well if we're going to understand John three sixteen, So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says this. Daniel speaking here prophetically says, In my vision at night I looked, and there was one before me like a son of man. That's where it comes from. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he will approach the ancient of days. That's a reference to God. So he will approach God. He will approach the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Now, here's what happens to the Son of Man from God. It says, God will do this. The Son of Man was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus walks up to people and says, I'm son of man, they knew exactly what he meant, that he was one that the authority of God had been given to and his kingdom and his dominion would never, ever end. That's what Jesus was saying. There's another thing that we need to understand as we read the context of John 3.16, It's an incredibly brief story from the Older Testament, but Jesus, in his interaction with Nicodemus Ben-Gurion, references it. So we have to understand it as we read the context. And what Jesus talks about is that he, meaning Jesus, would be lifted up the same way the serpent was lifted up in the Older Testament. Jesus makes this strange reference, which Nicodemus, as an Old Testament scholar, would have known immediately what Jesus was talking about. Well, what Jesus is doing is he is referencing Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 8. I just want to read it for us briefly. The children of Israel are in the wilderness, they've escaped Egypt by God's deliverance. They're moving throughout the wilderness, they're moving into the desert. And as they travel, they begin to grumble and complain. How many of you have ever grumbled or complained? How many of you have children where you were driving to vacation and they would grumble and complain? Why is this taking so long? And you wanted to stop and open the door and leave them on Route 81, and then you and your spouse just keep going, right? Well, listen to what God does when they grumble and complain. Listen to this story. This is what Jesus is referencing. Numbers 21, verse 4 and following, it says this. They, meaning the Israelites, after they had left Egypt, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Doesn't that sound like a teenager? Doesn't it? I mean, they'd just been delivered by God. They've seen the power of God and the authority of God. They'd come through the sea that had parted. I mean, God's been doing miracles all around them. And then they get a hunger pang. They're a little bit thirsty. They look at God and go, what's wrong with you? They look at Moses, what's wrong with you? So here's what God does. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, and this is key, we sinned. That's what they say. They didn't excuse it. They didn't say, oh, we had hypoglycemia. That's why I treated you that way. They didn't say, oh, I was thirsty or I was hungry. They didn't say it's because of how my mama raised me. They didn't say if people had done more for me, I wouldn't behave the way. It was none of that. It wasn't I'm Italian. That's why I have a temper. It was none of that. They came to Moses and they said, Moses, we sinned. They owned their sin we sinned we sinned when we spoke against the lord and against you pray that the lord will take the snakes away from us so moses prayed for the people and the lord said to moses make a snake and put it up on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live and so moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. What an incredible story. These people are grumbling. They've sinned against God. Venomous snakes come in, and when you get bit by a copperhead, all you have to do is find where Moses is as he raises up this pole, and there was a bronze serpent that was wrapped around that pole, and if you looked at it, you'd be healed of the snake bite. It's incredible, it's just a quick aside, but that bronze snake was actually placed in the tabernacle. But then later on, one of the Jewish kings had to destroy it because he discovered that the Israelites had made it an idol and they were worshiping the bronze serpent. By the way, if you see that medical symbol with the pole with the serpent wrapped around it, that's where it comes from. It comes from this story, the healing of God. Now picture this though, what the story tells us is, is that the people have sinned and the result of sin is always death. And so the people as they're dying in their sin come to Moses and God with his grace and his mercy provides a way that all people have to do is look on what's been lifted up. And if they look on it, God will heal them and take away death and they will live. And so remember these three things. Remember who Nicodemus is, that he is Nicodemus Ben-Gurion. He's a powerful, wealthy, highly educated man from an aristocratic family. Remember that when you read Son of Man, it's a prophetic projection of the book of Daniel into the future that one will come and God will give him authority and power and his kingdom will never, never end. And then remember the story from the book of Numbers chapter 21 about if this thing is lifted up and people look to it, they will live. Sin that has bitten them will lose its potency, and they'll survive. Now let's read John chapter 3. It's a long story, but please, if you wouldn't mind, stay awake and read with me. I'll read out loud. The text will be on the screen, or you can read along in your Bible or on your smartphone. Here's what the Scripture tells us. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus has been doing miracles. Nicodemus is a Pharisee as a religious leader, knew about these, and so he comes to Christ. He says to Jesus, God is with you. You're a teacher, and God is with you. Reading on, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. What a creepy thought. Here's a guy who's an Ivy League grad. And when Jesus says, you got to be born again, he goes, where's my mom? I've got to go back up in her womb and be born again. It's crazy. Verse five, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Quick thought, in Hebrew and in Greek, the word for wind, breath, and spirit are the same. They're the same word. So where it says the wind blows where it will... Jesus is using a natural thing to try to elevate Nicodemus' understanding. But wind and spirit are the same word, reading on. How can this be, Nicodemus asked, verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things or of natural things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. And what's the next phrase? The Son of Man. That's what Jesus calls himself from the book of Daniel. Reading on, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Verse 16, most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.16 is embedded in a dialogue that Jesus has with an aristocratic, wealthy, powerful Jewish leader. And from that, we get that incredible verse, for God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life and would never perish. What an incredible verse. But here we have Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Why? Because he has a lot to lose. He has a ton to lose. He's a Jewish leader, and he doesn't want to visit Jesus during the day. So he visits with him at night. No pun intended, but we'll call this sermon Nick at Night. There we go. For you Nickelodeon fans that had children, and you sat in front of that TV set and watched Nickelodeon. I don't understand how any child liked Nickelodeon, but they all did. But Nick at Night. He comes at night, and he says to Jesus, I know God is with you. And then Jesus responds to him, and this is very, very critical, John 3.3. 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, do I have to go find my mother and go back into her womb? and come out again. I want you to notice the footnote in every Bible that's here that leads you to the bottom of your page after those words born again. By the way, this is the only place in Scripture where the term born again is. And yet there's a whole movement behind being a born again Christian. This is the only place it's mentioned. But I want you to notice something in your footnote under verse 3. It says this, The Greek for again also means from above. It can mean one of two things. It can either mean born again or, what? Born from above. It can mean either one. Now, how you hear it depends on your vantage point towards God, and that's what trips up Nicodemus. You see, when someone says a phrase, your paradigm, your approach, your view allows you or forces you to translate what's said in a certain way. Let me give you an example. About 18 and a half years ago, I visited City Church. I was on a vacation in Williamsburg, and a friend of mine had reached out to me and said that City Church was looking for a pastor, so I thought I would sneak in on a Wednesday night and just check out the church. So my wife and I came over from Williamsburg, and we were going to do this kind of incognito. But I was looking for 1010 East Rio Road. You see, Rio Road is spelled R-I-O. How many of you know for sure that's Rio? Everywhere in the world but Charlottesville. That's Rio. So... Didn't have a MAPS program, didn't have a smartphone, couldn't find it. So I pulled into a gas station and I said to the guy, I'm looking for 1010 East Rio Road. You know what he said? You ain't from around here, are you? I said, no, I'm not. He said, that's Rio Road. And I didn't say this, but I was thinking... Have you ever heard of the Rio Grande? No. You've heard of the Rio Grande. Have you ever heard of Rio de Janeiro? No. But you've heard of Rio de Janeiro. And I just, you know, and the idea was, though, and this was key, he knew I was not from here. Because when I said the word, I didn't have the same context. I didn't have the right paradigm. I didn't have the right view. And so he knew instantly I wasn't from here. Listen, when Jesus says the words, born again, when he uses that Greek phrase that can be translated born again or born from above, Nicodemus takes it as born again, not born from above. And then he says the dumbest thing in all of Scripture. He says, smart guy, do I have to go back into my mom's womb and come out again? In other words, born a second time or born again. And then Jesus moves and everything he says is an attempt to shift Nicodemus from a natural perspective of Jesus to a supernatural one. He begins to talk about the spirit and the wind and being born not just of water, which is natural birth, but also being born of spirit, which is a supernatural birth. And he shifts and begins to talk about how the wind blows and the wind is synonymous with spirit, and he's trying to elevate Nicodemus' look into Jesus because at that point, Nicodemus' view of Jesus was just natural. And so here's what I'd like to say about Jesus. If you approach Jesus only in the natural, you will never find him. You have to approach him spiritually. We must be open to the things of the Spirit. We live in a touch and see culture. That's not how faith works. Faith is about not seeing and yet believing. And you see the reason why that Nicodemus was coming with a natural perspective, let me explain to you how you became a Jew. You ready? You were born one. You were born a Jew. You were born into the right family, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the 12 tribes of Abraham's sons, and you were born into that family. Now you could become a Jew from the outside, but you were never really viewed as a full Jew unless you were born into the right family. And so following God to a Jew was natural. You were born into one of the 12 families, into one of the 12 tribes, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he says to Nicodemus how the kingdom works is not by natural birth, but supernatural birth. That's how this works. And really what Jesus is trying to say to anyone who would listen is this, whoever believes will have eternal life. Whoever believes, will have eternal life if you believe in Jesus. It's not about being born into the right family. And see, the dilemma is, is if you approach faith like Nicodemus was, where it's natural, it's about natural birth and being born into the right family. And if it's about the rules of Judaism and following the laws, here's what I will tell you. Rules You end up with a regulated life. But if you understand what Jesus was really saying, not born again, but born from above, when you understand that, you understand that this birth is a spiritual one. It's about relationship, and it's about freedom. Because if you view the Christian faith naturally, you will end up moving towards rules. And when you move towards rules, you will end up in bondage. But when you understand that John 3.16 is telling us it's a spiritual birth for anyone who would come to Jesus, then literally I can be freed up from myself. Listen how awesome it is to think That on this freedom 4th of July weekend, you can be freed up from yourself. I need that. You need that. But then also remember that Jesus says in this story, he says to Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus, I will be lifted up the same way the bronze serpent was lifted up with Moses. And whoever looks unto me will have everlasting life. But what does that tell us? That tells us that my problem is a spiritual one and that spiritual problem is sin. It's about sin. Am I willing to look at my life spiritually and not blame my parents, not blame my boss, blame how I was raised, blame what I do have, blame what I don't have, but am I willing to look at my life and say, Pete Hartwig has sinned? And once I've sinned, then the venom of sin is in me, and it always brings death. But God, by his grace, sent his Son, that if you would look at him as he was lifted up, In other words, look at him while he's on the cross and recognize that he did that for me and I'm the sinner and he's not. But if I would be willing to look at my sin, look at me spiritually, get beyond the natural and look at me spiritually, and then look at Jesus. He's not just a good teacher. He is the Son of God. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies of Daniel. That God would give a new kingdom and a new way of doing things to someone and his kingdom would never end. And that I don't have to be born into the right family naturally. What God calls me to do is look at Jesus as he is lifted up and recognize that he's on the cross for me. John three sixteen makes no sense unless we understand these things. That that verse is within the context of Moses and the serpent, sin and the venom of the serpent, sin and death. And then the Apostle Paul, who was as well a Pharisee, just like Nicodemus tells us this in Romans three twenty three twenty four. 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned, but all have the opportunity to be justified freely by his grace. In other words, back to Nicodemus, if I look at the Christian life, naturally it will become rules, and rules lead you back into bondage. But if we understand that what Jesus was really not saying was be born again, but what he was saying was be born from above, be born spiritually, be born anew. And if I recognize that, then all of a sudden the Christian life is about the power of the Holy Spirit and it's about God working in me and through me to be a follower of Jesus. Then last, John 3, 16. Let's put John 3.16 back up on the screen if we could. John 3.16 tells us so clearly, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an incredible verse. I want to tell you a little something. I think on the one hand, that you will notice that John 3.16 follows after the quotations of Jesus. This, to many, is commentary that John, the writer of this gospel, puts in there. And I can picture John writing, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, and I just feel like in my spirit John was shouting at everyone like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're missing it. This is about spiritual birth through Christ, and it's about new life, and it's about freedom in Jesus. It's what it's for. So when I look at this as a follower of Jesus, I have to say to myself, have I really said yes to Jesus? Have I really done this? My grandmother can't say yes to Jesus? for me my friend can't say yes to jesus for me the person that brought me to city church this morning they cannot say yes to jesus for me but everyone's welcome have i said yes to jesus because god in his love sent his son to die on the cross that's a kind of love that is radical in western culture It's radical that in love, Jesus dies on the cross. It puts a whole new dimension to love. And I think one of the things that John wants you to know and me to know and Nicodemus to know is that everything that we're talking about is because of love. It's about God's love for you and God's love for me and God knows that I'm in trouble and he gives me what I really need. And that is forgiveness and deliverance from sin because sin is killing me and the venom of sin has bitten me you would say but man i wish god would give me something else but he knows what you need i remember when 18 years ago my wife and i bought a house here in charlottesville my parents came to visit it was my birthday And my mom said, I got you something for your birthday. And it was a washer-dryer. And I thought, I didn't ask for a washer-dryer. But that's what she gave me. You want to know why? My mom loves me, and she knew what I needed. Same with God. God knows what I need. The venom of the serpent of sin has bitten me and its effect is working itself out in me, and I cannot free myself up. So God in his love lifts up his son that whosoever would look upon him and would believe will be delivered from the ramifications of death and sin and brought in to eternal life. You know, the end of the story is an amazing one. Nicodemus just kind of exits scripture And then he pops up again at the oddest moment. Jesus has been arrested. There's a kangaroo court that's meeting in the middle of the night, and the Jewish leaders are scheming on how to murder him. And Nicodemus speaks up, and he essentially says, Hey, guys, he says to the other 71 ruling elders of the Jewish faith, What we're doing is wrong. You can't do this. We are unjustly trying him. And they turn on Nicodemus and basically say, Well, what are you, his buddy, or something? And then the last time we see Nicodemus in scripture, guess what he's doing? All the disciples have fled, everyone's left him, Jesus is dead. And guess who goes and gets his body from Pilate? Nicodemus. Nicodemus identified Jesus and he went and got his body when the murder of Jesus was so radioactive that anyone who identified with Christ could have been murdered as well but Nicodemus stood up for Jesus and then he went and got his body and he lovingly collected Christ's corpse and he placed him in his buddy's tomb and his buddy's name was Joseph of Arimathea so in the end Nicodemus stood for Jesus He understood what Jesus was trying to teach him. And I believe with all my heart that he was not born again, but he was born from above. That his spirit had been transformed by Christ. Let's stand together as we close. Let's close our eyes and leave our hearts open. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? If you don't, you can right now. And please know this, in the Jewish mind, eternal life isn't something you die to get. It's something that's available now. You live in eternal life now. We're not talking about praying a prayer in just a moment so that you know you're going to go to heaven. That's huge. But what's way more important is that you would live a life of the Spirit from this day on. That you would live a life in jesus empowered and indwelled by the holy spirit that you would move from the natural to where your life would become supernatural and in that you would find forgiveness of sin and deliverance from death but also the power to live a new life that's what it means to be born again to be born from above if you're here and you've never said yes to jesus I'm going to encourage you. In fact, I'm going to challenge you to follow Jesus, to follow him. And what that means in this moment is that you would admit, I'm a sinner. That you would stand with the people in the desert thousands of years ago, and you would say to God, God, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against people I have sinned. But now, instead of a bronze serpent up on a pole, There's now the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's the death of Jesus, where he conquers death, hell, and the grave. Will you today repent of your sin? Will you today say yes to Jesus? Will you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him? Will you be born from above? If that's you, and you know that you need to do this, and the Holy Spirit is working on your heart and on your life, you don't have to be born into the right family. It's not about following rules. This is about surrendering our lives to Jesus and to saying yes to him and following him. If that's you, I'd encourage you to repeat silently or quietly in your heart the following prayer that you would direct it to Jesus, and you would direct it to God the Father, and you would direct this prayer to the Holy Spirit. And the prayer would go like this, Dear God, I've sinned. I've sinned against people, but most importantly, I've sinned against you. God, I understand that the venom of sin is in me and it brings death spiritually brings death relationally and it brings death physically in my life God there's nothing I can do so now I turn to you I turn to you and what you've done through your son Jesus for me and I look at Jesus on the cross and I receive that work for me I repent of my sin that caused him to go there for me But now because of your love and your grace I accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for me. I say yes to Jesus. Jesus forgive me. Jesus cleanse me. And Holy Spirit I now now ask that you would live inside of my life. That I would be born from above. That I would have new life. I pray for this and I believe for this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together for a moment.
1: In the morning, when I
0: pray for you again if you filled out that summer connection card for us please put it in the boxes as you exit or please leave it at the welcome station just check off some of those boxes for us that's so helpful but now as we exit our time and again you can please feel free to stay in worship as we exit our time if you need prayer come forward or you can stay in worship But let's just go now with the recognition of God's love and his blessing upon us. And now may the Lord bless us. And may the Lord keep us. May he cause his face to shine upon us. And give us peace. God bless you. Have an awesome Fourth of July.
1: Take my hand